I asked ChatGBT what the definition of mid was, and it told me the NFC South. A trio of seven-win teams, your eight-win division champion, Tampa Bay Bucks. Each team has a new starting quarterback. The division seems as wide open as any. Hey, we're back. Let's kick off our 2023 division previews with Baker Mayfield's NFC South. It's 1123 on Ball Street, July 20th. I'm a deep value better with Throw the Damn Ball, Judah Fort Gang. Our guest, Patton Analytics, Stephen Patton, a new face, a new voice of reason with Alpha Delivery this season. Stephen has some exquisite modeling abilities, has an economics background, so speaks our language. We stumbled upon some of his work this offseason. We've been collabing on some projects over the summer, so more to come from him. But welcome to Alphabets, our new show name. Judah, I know how your summer's been, but for the sake of our audience, how's your summer been? My summer has been great. I've been deep in the lab, researching, building, a lot of cool things that we'll have upcoming for this season. Quite frankly, by the time February rolled around, I was like, you know what? I love football season. I love the grind, but I'm kind of looking forward to the off season of research. And now that we're here, I hear that music again. I hear the beautiful sounds of this portfolio King's intro. And I'm like, when is September? I'm dying to get back into it. And it'll be here before you know it. I, I can't know. believe it's I already July 20th. Yeah. So Steven, how about you? Been deep in the lab. I've been working on a couple models. Like he said, we've been kind of collabing on some stuff for almost six months and the off season, it's come and gone way too quickly. I feel like I've touched on a lot of things, but there's still definitely a lot of work to do and excited to get into it today. Let's start with an overview of win total futures. You got the Saints at nine and a half wins, the Falcons at eight and a half wins, Panthers, seven and a half wins, Bucks at six and a half wins so all very tight and really as i opened a very mid division so you know there's no four game winners there's no 10 11 game winners all bunched up there in the middle very tightly priced also i should have opened with we do have an asterisk here from steven that he is a panthers homer so filter his feelings about the Panthers to that. But I, he's academically honest. So I, I think he'll there's, be able to balance that. <laughs> there's definitely a little bit of bias and I more want to talk about the other three teams. I feel like the Saints as division favorites, that's a little off. I think they actually got worse than they were last year and we're going to see a lot of regression. And the same is probably true for the Buccaneers. Those teams, I think, are definitely going to be towards the bottom of the division and this is going to be between the Falcons and Panthers down the stretch. I disagree on the Saints. I think actually they should be bigger favorites. And I absolutely love the division bet for the Saints more so than any of the over-unders. And I don't hate a Panthers under six and a half, even a Bucks under five and a half. Also would take the under of the Falcons. That's certainly where I lean. I'm not sure how I feel about the alt-under. I think this is worse than a mid-division of football. I think this is going to be an absolute disaster of a division with the exception of the Saints and maybe the Falcons can kind of sneak around. But I think the the Bucks and Panthers have possibilities of being among the worst teams in the league. Okay. So there's a taste of 
some of our views. For me, I would say, at least at this point in time, I'm still early in my research. We've been doing a lot of macro-oriented research, a lot of building from a Sportfolio Kings perspective. We're gonna be delivering and talking about and have tools this season, unlike anything that we had last season. Game trade is gonna be chef's kiss so a lot to look forward to there but when it comes to the actual like researching the teams themselves and things that have actually happened over the off season as i was putting together some of these slides i was like oh wow i didn't know adam thielen was on the panthers <laughs> so still figuring a lot of that out but you know i've been listening to other podcasts as well and another cool tool that we're going to have that actually will help us do this more seamlessly, more efficiently, and more quantitatively is our sentiment analyzers. We're going to be able to scrape the transcripts and assess how the speakers talk about teams, quantify it from a sentiment analysis perspective using natural language processing, machine learning, artificial intelligence to be able to do that and then do it in aggregate. So we don't have to listen to every single 45 minute podcast. We can aggregate it all together. We have our market consensus power rankings. We have betting splits. We have other aspects of understanding how the market positions around teams. And this is going to be another new alternative data point. That's something we're going to continue to share over the course of the season, looking at other podcasts, analyzing it, quantifying it. And when I've done that from a few tests already, a lot of bettors out there really like the Falcon. So the Falcon seems like a very hot trade. And then the, the opposite side of that spectrum is everyone wants to sell the already sold off bucks. And so for me, just from a broader market positioning perspective, I don't see the potential upside in Falcons as much as others do. I'm lukewarm on the Saints. And I think the best opportunity here is probably in the somewhat of bottom dwellers in the Panthers and Bucks. That's how I'm seeing it. I, I see like the Bucks could definitely get over six and a half, could definitely get over seven and a half. And then the Panthers, if they're if they didn't have Bryce Young and there was like more certainty at quarterback, I would like them even more so. I would have them as probably division win. I'm just excited for Brett you to Kind of look back in about an hour from now and be like, man, did I really say that I like the Bucks at over? Wow, only just an hour from now and you're wrong already. <laughs> I, 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 think, think, I think I have low conviction, so it could happen. Okay, so what we have on the screen here is now we, as we start to dive in, we'll start with looking back. All right, what happened in 2022? Remind ourselves. I know a lot of people are already coming out with preview podcast we're a little late in the game so i'm sure everyone's probably maybe familiar with this but we're doing it for ourselves and also we're going to analyze it from a different perspective no one has the charts we have no one analyzes the data the way we do everyone just pontificates all right so on this slide we talk about the range of outcomes and one thing we're also going to be doing a lot this season is using edp our custom metric from our drive quality metric earn drive points certainly using that more so rather than epa Judah, maybe you want to talk a little bit about this. Yeah, sure. So earn drive points is kind of exactly how it sounds, which is how many points do you earn on a drive? What does it mean to earn points? Essentially, how sustainable or reproducible is your drive? To say like a 75-yard touchdown off a of blown coverage is not the same as a 10-play drive where you kind of march up and down the field. That is more sticky if we're going to predict future performance. So that's essentially what 
earn drive points is it kind of builds in a bunch of different features. I recommend checking that article out. It is on our sites, portfoliokings.com. This range of outcomes chart is using a Bayesian framework to understand the distributions of that. So it's one thing to kind of get a mean or a sum for a particular week. This kind of paints a picture of what is the high percentile outcome, right? If you look at the peak, let's say of the Falcons, they kind of start from a different point, meaning that their peak is about like the bucks median and they have a fatter right tail, which means that they have a higher distribution and propensity to score more points. This is the type of charts that we'll definitely be leveraging a lot over the course of the season to try to understand what teams do you want to potentially bet high leverage situations, high leverage potential outcomes, tail scenarios for. So like in this type of scenario, like it wouldn't really necessarily pay off. Be like, yeah, maybe you want to be, you know, a little cute, a little cheeky and try to bet on the Panthers to like outperform to the upside. Well, this is basically just saying like, eh, I mean, that's probably not a great bet. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. But if you really want to roll the dice on a potential upside outperformance, this is something you might want to like, hey, maybe the Saints, maybe the Falcons. And what this is also telling you is, hey, in fact, maybe you might want to roll the dice on a potential downside underperformance from the Panthers. Hey, maybe they only score three points, maybe some alt unders or something like that. Something we'll definitely be using a lot over the course of the season. So let's start into the Tampa Bay Bucks, a team that we made a lot of money on last season. One of the charts that we'll show after this really demonstrates and quantifies this. But we'll first start with earned drive points, where the Bucks stood relative to the broader league. Yeah, this crystallizes how bad the offense was. I think Tom Brady was fine, and we'll kind of discuss the ramifications of that for this upcoming season. But this offense was in line with the Patriots, and Giants, and and Rams. Even the Bears had a better offense. This was not a particularly good unit. They suffered a lot of interior offensive line injuries early on in the season, and you saw that impact Brady's kind of performance and the overall efficiency of that offense. I think they're only going to get worse because they lost Donovan Smith this year, Shaq Mason, and of course Tom Brady. So when you're looking at a bunch of new guys on that interior O-line, and Baker Mayfield at quarterback, all of a sudden the efficiency that was there with Brady is completely gone and the floor is kind of given out. Well, that definitely does seem like how a lot of people are evaluating the Bucks going into 2023. And we can see in 2022, the market has just really flipped. Now everyone's very quick to sell the Bucks. And last year, it took them forever to come around to understanding how bad the Bucks actually were. We see all the way up through about week six, week seven, they were still ranked as a top three team when it was very clear that they weren't. So what we're showing here on the screen is a general market consensus power rank. This is an equal weighted average of how PFF, how ESPN, how 538, how Football Outsiders, and how Impredict was ranking the team on a week by week basis and then seeing how that changed week over week over the course of the season. What we have new on here is our drive quality model power rankings, which we leveraged last season that we talked about on every single week's market outlook. And one of the things that we would kept pounding the table on is about how the bucks continued to be overrated. And we can see how ahead of market drive quality was by week four. The Bucks were already a bottom 13th. Where it was ranked 14th. Yeah, 13th, 14th. A few weeks later, by week seven, week eight, 
all the way down to almost 20th by week 13, almost touching 25 as literally one of the worst teams in the league. And you can see that the market dripped lower and lower, closer and closer to drive quality as drive quality was ahead by double digit amount of weeks. And this is the type of insight, the type of forecasting that you need, that you want as a sports better to give you forward looking actionable advice. So something that you're going to want to listen to over the course of 2023, you know, how is drive quality evaluating these teams? And in case it's not clear, I talked about in the note of like understanding drive quality and earn drive points. It's that it's at its best sourcing short-term information. And there's no better example than the Tampa Bay Bucks of last year. And I remember the live bet on the Panthers, which they lost 21-3. I right. remember the, so many of these. And we'll, that was a big that. turning point. That was a big turning point. Just seeing just how far ahead drive quality was. And, and it also, it kind of like peaked back as the Bucks put together a couple of performances and it's honest in that way, but really was ahead. And there's no better example of the short-term signal. Yep. And it's not romanced by superficial results because you look at week one and week two, okay? The Bucks started off two and oh, and started off two and oh ATS. So they're actually making betters money, but drive quality sees through that bullshit and sees and understands how the team's actually performing on the field and drive quality was selling off on the Bucks even as they won the games, even as they covered the spreads. And one of the things I just hate so much about sports betters and power rankings in general is they're just so reactive. They just react to whatever the most recent thing that happened and they react directionally with whatever happened, which just provides you no insight beyond just broader sentiment, which is why we still capture that information. So it's good to understand, well, how does the market, how does the media, how do talking heads feel about this team? Because then they influence broader betters and how they allocate their bankrolls. So that's why we want to make sure that we understand that. And then also we can understand, all right, how does drive quality feel about this team relative to the market? Because then that's obviously going to give you a sense of how something might be mispriced. So this next slide, diving a little bit deeper into that team's 2022 performance, this breaks it down on a week by week basis, really gives you more granular insight into how the spread moved. How did they perform in game? So we have some unique metrics here. We have max lead max deficit so how did they perform intra game did they get hot did they get cold did they make a comeback did they collapse we have time weighted average margin twam which is a time weighted evaluation of how much they led or were losing by multiplied by the time that they held that leader so it can give you a more accurate sense of how competitive they were in that game this will not be manipulated by a last minute score or a last minute score and then a pick six and a three point game turns into a 17 point game. And the final score looks like one team blew the other team out when that's not at all what happened. TWAM is gonna tell you exactly how that game was actually competitive. So TWAM can give you a better sense, especially when you're looking back and maybe you forgot some of these nuanced details, can help give you a better, more accurate sense of evaluating those past games. And we also have a similar metric, TWAP, which is the time-weighted average win probability. Again, same philosophy. Then we have the bet percentage, cast percentage. Some people are skeptical of those. Well, if you are, we also have the Circa rank. So where did this team rank from a picks perspective in the Circa Millions contest? That's real data. That's fact. 
So just another metric that we can use to help understand broader, better positioning, broader market positioning. How are they feeling this team on a week by week basis? And we can see on this with the Bucks specifically, we can see that they were a top pick in Circa. In fact, it's a, it's a great example where we're talking about how drive quality doesn't get romanced by superficial outcomes. We see the Circa rank in week one and week two, when the Bucks won and covered, they were actually not a popular pick in Circa. Week one, 25th ranked pick. Week two, 15th ranked pick. So they're 2-0, 2-0, yes. Now the market warms up to them. Now the market wants to start betting the Bucks, and you're late. You're late to the game. Circa rank ninth, 12th, first, third, third over the next five weeks. So the market is romanced. The market gets taken for a sucker by this team. Just great examples of how you can kind of use these charts when evaluating these teams. Anything kind of stick out to you guys from this? To your point, this team was not an underdog in a game until week 14. And like, that's kind of irrelevant for making money next year, except there's probably going to be another team that comes in with huge expectations, really is underperforming. We're like, oh, they're gonna, are they gonna turn around? They're gonna turn around and let the Bucks be a cautionary tale. Like, this could go on till week 14 where you'll hold on to priors. There's going to be some team that is well below expectations. It's going to happen. Yeah, there's a shelf life for certain teams and EDP was reflecting of that. It caught that and where a lot of people thought there'd be market correction or they'd be able to pick it up. They really weren't able to. Yeah. If we look at the max deficits, I mean, the Bucks are just getting their faces ripped off week in and week out, down by 11, down by 21, down by eight, down by 18, down by 11, down by 13, down by 35, down by 17, down by 10, down by 14, down by 13. They're down double digits almost every single game. And again, as we showed on this chart, despite all that happening, they were ranked as a top 10 team all the way through week 14 before the market finally started to soften on them. Actually, I'm gonna take back what I said. I think that there is a lot to learn from last season, which is like, this roster was was bad as it is. Tom Brady was probably the thing keeping it together with the offseason changes. This roster was dreadful. Tom Brady, the key stat here is, was getting rid of the ball in 2.3 seconds, which was by far the quickest in the NFL. The guy in second place, Joe Burrow, was 2.5 seconds which kind of mitigated the offensive line and, and how weak they were. As a unit now, they project as one of the worst units, if not the worst unit in the NFL, looking at their offensive line. Season. Christian Wurst is a great left tackle. If you even just look at their PFF grades, they've got a, a 46, a rookie, 28.9, a 54.6. These are all bottom third, if not worse in the league. Add in the fact that Baker Mayfield is a guy who holds on to the ball for too long, his pressure to sack ratio, meaning when he sees a pressure, how often is he taking a sack? He's 30%, which is like 7% more than the second place team. That's a disastrous combo. Add in the new offensive coordinator, this team was throwing into perfect coverage, meaning a combination of their receivers' lack of separation, lack of offensive creativity, and in the defenses they're playing certainly plays a role in that but doing it almost 50% of the time, your, your base rate of success there is horrible. It's a negative 0.3 EPA. That's almost two times worse than the worst offense in the NFL last season. I'm just not sure what they have on offense. It's like a bad offensive line, a quarterback who holds the ball for too long. Maybe Chris Godwin comes back. He's on the decline. Mike Evans' separation numbers are way down. There's really nothing on offense here. And it was a bad unit last year. And 
and they just lost the one thing that was keeping them together, which is Tom Brady. Steven, do you know anything about this new OC? Dave Canales, I don't have too much on. I think he's a significant downgrade to... Byron Leftwich? Byron Leftwich. And oh, damn. This is dumpster fire, then. Yeah, so <laughs> you have a dumpster fire on that. You, you've lost two starters on that offensive line that were key last year. So you need Wurfs to literally man down the left side while you have a second-year guy and a rookie on your right-hand side. Baker holds on to the ball so long. He had a top-10 offensive line in Carolina. He does not know how to play in structure, and that's going to hurt him here in Tampa Bay, and it's looking bleak. Yeah, those wide receivers, I mean, they can look one way one year, and then one offseason can just fall off a cliff. Dan asks, what do you think the Bucks' record is last year without Brady? Three and 14. <laughs> well, they were 412 and one ATS, so sounds about right. So let's look into 2023 and see who they play. From the future's perspective, six and a half. Again, it's like basically not juiced on either side. So big adjusted, also six and a half wins. Strength of schedule uh, from a future's implied perspective. So this can still like be kicked around and the realized strength of schedule can end up being totally different. But at least from a future's implied perspective, it's right down the middle, 16th, net rest, minus six days. So that's a disadvantage. Mean spread is about plus three and a half. So on average, about a field goal underdog over the course of the season. The Pythag 2.0 model would say it likes the over here. Yeah, it doesn't know Tom Brady's retired. It doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If we want to look for a silver lining with this team, because I don't think it's going to be on the offensive side. They lost the Keem Hicks, but they also added Greg Gangs in free agency and they drafted Kalijah Kansi. You pair that with Vita Vey and Shaq Barrett that's already there. That's what's going to keep them in games because that's what's going to allow Levante David and Devin White to do what they do best. It's going to allow Antonio Winfield, Carlton Davis, and Jamal Dean to hold up that back end and make plays back there. So if they're going to stick around, it's going to be because of the defense, not because of what they're doing offensively. That's a good point. So a lot of the defense is coming back. It is. And it looks great. They reinforce the interior with getting Greg Gaines from LA, super underrated. And then Kalijah Kansi, who is kind of reminiscent of Aaron Donald. His arms are a little bit shorter, but he's that smaller, more explosive interior defensive lineman. And he could wreck some havoc in Tampa. Bold Aaron Donald predictions. Reminiscent. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm... <laughs> so the defenses are pretty good, as we talked about. And obviously, it was a bad offense. Like, how much worse can it be? They're not going to be able to run the ball. I don't think the defense will be as good just from a regression standpoint. Right, This is probably a top five defense by EDP. They're also a relatively old defense. You know, guys like Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean. They could be propped up by their schedule, could win a bunch of grinder games. But the point is that the, the defense, yes, can probably keep them in games. But this might be the worst offense in the league. My biggest worry that would potentially keep me off actually betting the upside of the Bucks is coaching. What you just said about the OC, Steven, and then just bowls in general. Look at the schedule right here. I don't think they beat Minnesota in week one. Chicago's revamped. They're definitely not beating Philly. The Saints is gonna be a grinded out division game. They're probably gonna get blown out by the Lions and the Bills. Does Todd Bowles even hold his position past week eight? That was gonna be my prediction is that I don't think he lasts mm -hmm. the season, but. Looking at the schedule, if you fall to like two and six at that point, 
The offense looks abysmal. At that point, you're firing Todd Bowles, you're trading Mike Evans, and you're playing for Caleb Williams or Drake May. That's what it's going to boil down to. I also think there's a tank variable here, which is a non-zero chance this team has absolutely no intention of winning. And Baker Mayfield is the perfect stopgap quarterback. Well, we see on the screen, fewest wins, Bucks plus 800. When you're thinking about tail potential outcomes, there is a fat tail for this team to be one of the worst teams in the league, given every single thing that you just talked about. Like, why aren't they actively trying to trade Mike Evans or Godwin right now? Because his price is going to go up middle of the season when the Rams were making a push for the Super Bowl. They traded Von Miller and they traded a second for him. So it's a team desperate enough. Get someone desperate. Thinks, yeah, exactly. I think they're delusional. Dan also points out the Bucks got 40 to 50 million in dead cap this year. Yikes. Let's move on the Panthers. Looking at their offensive and defensive EDB chart. Again, in line with the Bucks there, and that's why they actually ended up flirting with the division title near the end of the year. I had, I don't know, maybe in like week 10 or 11 or something like that, I took like a lottery ticket bet on the Panthers to potentially win the division. I can't remember what it, what it was. It was 25 like- 25 to one. Why do I 25. remember your bet? <laughs> if I, and it came very close. And in fact, remember I was in Paris when the Panthers hit their peak and then collapsed first the Bucks. They had a double digit lead. I'm like, my God, this like this ticket is going to win. Plus I like the Panthers. The Panthers are going to make the playoffs. They're going to sneak in. Plus the Bucks suck. They're going to lose again. Oh my gosh, it's like everything's coming together. And then it all collapsed. We couldn't but, cover Mike Evans that game. CJ Henderson was the starter on that side and they just torched us on go routes. That was the short glimpse of what people thought the Bucks were going to be doing like all season. As we can see on the EDP chart here, the Panthers were right there in like the same range of the Bucks, a pretty elite defense and a miserable offense. So if the Panthers can actually come around and put together a decent offense, it seems like there should be more stability there. When we look at the Panthers 2022 power ranking volatility, we could see their average rank was about 28th. The average opponent rank was about 16th seven day rolling rank volatility was about four and a half spots. So in any given week, they were up or down four and a half spots the way that the market was evaluating them. We can see they started off around 28th, had a spike and then came down lower. And this rhymes a lot with what we saw Judah last season that there's this initial preseason understanding of how good a team potentially is. And then there's a bunch of noise in between but they end up relatively close to where people thought they were gonna be, but people abandon re relatively quickly sometimes those narratives. And then oftentimes they hold on to the ones that are definitely wrong, <laughs> like, like the Bucks. But we can see here that there wasn't too much volatility with the Panthers. There was a little bit of a belief at the beginning of the year, then a sell-off, and then just a general trickle around 32nd, 31st, 30th, Drive quality was always, as we can see here, a little bit hotter on them than the market was. And we can see the drive quality actually does lead the market. So, but not, not was, it wasn't a great kind of leading indicator here for like really cashing tickets. And we didn't really end up betting the Panthers uh, too much last season. I love you obviously pointing at the kind of intra volatility here, but also I love this chart. It's a great reminder of a classic expectation of a team they're actually a little better. Oh no, they're as bad as we thought. And then right at that bottom, you have that game against the Bucks. 
where they're power ranked at 31st or 32nd. We're like, okay, they're as bad as we thought they were in the preseason. And that's always when the team goes on a little run or at least is better than that 32nd ranking. We saw that here with the beating the Bucks and then a, a three-point loss against the Falcons. And then you do get crushed by the Bengals, but then rattle off, you know, a bunch of wins. That's a yeah. classic spot right there of the buying the dip. Well, buying the dip, it was the firing of Matt Rule. After the 49ers abysmal game, he goes, you see Steve Wilkes take over as the interim guy. And they go into LA with PJ Walker and they take the L there. But after that, you just saw them buy into it. And that's what happens when you have competent coaching, which I think is what David Tepper leaned into this offseason is making sure he had one of the best, if not the best coaching staff available to him. This is a really good example of drive quality, basically being exactly one week ahead of the market. You can see drive quality shoots up a week before the market shoots up and then sells off hard on the Panthers a full week before the market sells off on the Panthers. So that's exactly what you kind of want to see from any sort of true leading indicator that gives you tactical insight into how to position around a team. And we can see here also drive quality isn't always necessarily intended to be an indicator of a broader, longer term macro view. It can be volatile in itself, but like Judah talked about it, it can actually have a lot of power using it as a short term signal of how to evaluate this team on that one to, to three week window. When we look at the week to week x-ray, we see a lot of volatility at the quarterback position. Mayfield started the first five weeks. And then we had PJ Walker, then we had Mayfield, then we had Darnold to end the season. And he actually did bring some life to this team. We got to highlight those Darnold performances there. <laughs> He's not bad. He just... He's not bad. Well, I mean, I think... if, if he gets the opportunity in the NSF, we'll see what I happens. He was pretty bad. I think he had a really good season. His average EPA was 0.23. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. The turnover where he plays were really low. He was good. I think the biggest thing that's always been Darnold's fault is that he doesn't process well, but he can throw a damn good ball. So I think in that context, if Kyle Shanahan can simply have him point and shoot, he's going to look really, really good if he has to play this year. Yeah, I like that point. What I think is also interesting here is using the market as a contrarian signal. I saw the Panthers generally not a great team. If anything, like best case scenario was like kind of in the middle, an average kind of team. When the market buys into them, all right, so they're a top 10 circa pick. Week one, seventh ranked pick. Week two, sixth ranked pick. Both times fail to cover, 0-2. Market sells off on them. Now the third week, again, we're 0-2, we're butt hurt, not betting Panthers anymore. Fuck the Panthers. 21st ranked pick. Then they cover. Then they cover by a full touchdown as the market sells off on them. But market buys into them again a few weeks later, gets to be a top 10 pick. All right, maybe we'll start to flirt with the Panthers again. Oh, uh, they lose. You know, they don't cover by 21 points. You know, Marcus pissed again, not betting the Panthers anymore. Next week, 28th ranked pick. Oh, and then they cover by double digits. So as soon as the market sells off, again, cut a few weeks later, takes a while for the market to buy back in the Panthers, buys back in the Panthers, the third ranked pick. Don't cover by eight points. And eh, sells off. Now another, like, back to 11th. And then they cover by two touchdowns. And it's just when the market tries to get clever and like buys into a team that's like not very good. And then when they try to sell off hard on them, creates opportunity. I think another thing that I thought was interesting when I'm looking at the max lead, max deficits here is pretty much any time that the Panthers took a considerable lead, they held it. 
So when they took a 15 point lead versus the Saints, they never trailed and they ended up winning. 18 point lead, never trailed, ended up winning. 13 point lead, once they got to that double digit lead, never trailed, ended up being the Falcons. 20, 20 point lead, never trailed. 17 point lead, never trailed. 24 point lead, never trailed. Only this last one actually versus the Bucks, that the one we were just talking about, had a 14 point lead, blew it, ended up losing any other time and so these are the types of like rhythms that you want to start to recognize in the season especially judah like for us you know when you're thinking about live betting yeah trying to understand what teams are stickier once they get those leads and it's harder to give it up and which teams are more vulnerable I was just thinking about this today. I should put together a chart on how you perform on offense when you have a comfortable lead. The Vikings for the last bunch of years have always been in the bottom left. Oh yeah. yeah. I'll make one more general point about the Panthers. The run game here is where I think that the Panthers really leaned into, especially late in the season and exactly your point about their ability to kind of hold leads, which is like this team got leads, they ran the ball effectively and did not let teams back in. And that's kind of a path, I guess, Again, it's a totally different system with Frank Reich here, so there isn't so much to say about the Panthers, but for another team, perhaps, that might be able to win seven games or, or eight games, just on the backs of like having a good run game that can kind of win you these floor games where you get out to a lead and you just hold it, play keep away, and like if that happens, and you can kind of variance your way to a better record than probably your fundamental value is. That's not gonna have ceiling, but can kind of steal a bunch of games on the backs of a run game and a team that can protect leads. Yeah, Panthers, 9-8, and eight, ATS. Something we'll talk about a lot over the course of the season also is active points, a key attribute to what feeds our Pythag 2 model, which we've demonstrated has more predictiveness than your traditional Pythag. We have a note on that on SportfolioKings.com. Check it out. Active points is basically just how many points does the offense score more so than what the betting markets assume they're going to score. And then how many points does the defense give up less than the betting markets assume that they'll end up giving up? And of course, each one of those would be the team outperforming betting markets. And that would be your collective total active points. And so total active points for the Panthers last year, plus 38. Another signal of just saying how this team was habitually undervalued, mispriced last season. So when we talk about the offseason changes, of course, Bryce Young, Frank Reich, we know this, Adam Thielen. I didn't know that until about an hour ago. So maybe others listening out there. This team has Adam Thielen. Does it matter? I don't know. Judah says no. Miles Sanders and DJ Chark. I always like DJ Chark if you can stay healthy. Of course, lost DJ Moore, Matt Anitis, Corey Littleton. We have the local Panthers fan. Steven, is there anything else I missed here? We not only brought in Frank Reich, we brought in Thomas Brown from Sean McVay's tree. He's our offensive coordinator, so you get a little touch of that. We retained James Campen, who was a huge part of us having a top 10 O-line, which paved the way for the running game that allowed us to hold on the leads. We retained all five starters. We added some more depth this offseason. So that looks to be a strong suit, and that's what's going to keep Bryce Young up in the pocket and finding guys and making tight window throws. Really happy about Deuce Staley. We got him from the Detroit Lions. He's a running back coach and assistant coach. And then a former quarterback and a guy who's acted like a quarterback coach when he's been a quarterback on rosters is Josh McCown. Yeah, we don't have a lot of firepower on offense, but I think they're gonna be really smart in putting us in the best position possible to make plays and win games.
Stephen, I think it makes the case for a bullish long-term view of the of the Panthers. I think that it presents a case for upside that I probably was not willing to, to consider before. But ultimately, what this comes down to is rookie quarterbacks are not generally good. And if you look back at like the most successful rookie seasons, I have in front of me rookie seasons from like 2015. You got like Dak Prescott, who was a complete unicorn. And what did he have? He, he he had a great offensive line. He had yeah. a great running game. And he had yeah. a couple receivers. That, that's all he needed. Yeah, that was all he needed. He was a third or fourth round pick. Wasn't supposed to start. He just got kind of got thrust into it. That is a unique situation. And then you've got like Deshaun Watson and Justin Herbert had good rookie years. And then basically no one else has. Like the highest EPA after that is like Mac Jones at 0.85. I totally buy the long-term case. And like, I'd like to see some signs of progress for Bryce Young. And I think that's kind of what the Panthers are going for this year. But just like the the base rate of even good quarter, like who will be good quarterbacks in the future. It's just the rookie years are probably not going to be that good. And he doesn't have the talent on the field, I think, to elevate his play. You referred to Ben Johnson and we actually brought in DJ Chark to be the guy that takes the top off the defenses. The role Jonathan Mingo is going to probably play, especially when you look at what he did at Ole Miss, is he's going to have crossers coming across the field. And he's going to play that Amon Ross St. Brown role. And so if Chark can clear stuff, you have Hurst and Thielen as just simply security blankets on those money downs. If you can get Mingo out in space, he has a better relative athletic score than DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. And if you can get that kind of production from Mingo, then all of a sudden, some of the pieces around you, maybe you do make that wild card push and win the division. I think that's... Ambitious. It is ambitious. I think there, there are a lot of ifs there. I see the potential for upside more so than I do the Bucks. I don't I don't think how you can you know talk me into a bullish Bucks case. It's important in kind of handicapping that the Panthers to understand the base rate. Not to say that they can't kind of exceed that expectation, but where should this expectation be? Even if Mingo's good, like it's still a bottom unit. Rookie quarterbacks, I don't care who they are, and Bryce Young is certainly not a generational prospect by any stretch of the imagination. I do think the Panthers have, yeah, more upside than the Bucks if everything breaks. The only thing that's going to be holding them back, right, is Bryce Young. I'm not bullish on Bryce Young. Isn't Bryce Young supposedly 5'9? And also, isn't Kyler Murray supposed to be 5'9? If that's the case, like, I mean, first of all, Kyler Murray can't be 5'9. He's definitely really small. And what I will say that lends himself more to a Kyler Murray or even a Russell Wilson is he seems to see the middle of the field pretty well, which I think is going to help him. He doesn't him like move guys. like them, right? No, he does not have that mobility. He's just good about getting the ball out of his hands and avoiding hits. That's going to be the thing that keeps him alive. The skills that Bryce Young was good at in college, as you're alluding to, Stephen, the kind of ability to get the ball out to avoid hits, that might be a totally different ballgame in the NFL. If we see Bryce Young struggling early, I would not be surprised to see that prolonged, but also there's a potential for that swing after where he starts to learn towards the end of the season. And it's like Bryce Young's game might be priced in as like a disaster of a quarterback. He's really bad in his rookie season. And it wouldn't shock me if like by week 14, week 15, week 16, Bryce Young kind of turns it around a little bit, starts the process better. That's something I can see to, to monitor, which is like, is that skill translating? And how can we capitalize that in the short term and the long term? I also wonder to what extent, like, do you think that the coaching staff is going to be aggressive with Bryce Young? I mean, you have a good defense, you have a good offensive line, you ostensibly have a good running game. Like, that's a lot of strengths to lean on without having to actively expose yourself to a rookie doing stupid things on the field. Yeah. Do they use him as a game manager 
you know, a dot of negative two. <laughs> That's definitely going to be more of his role coming in. He was the guy that had the highest S2 score this past draft class. His processing's phenomenal. He picks up a playbook extremely fast. He pretty much ran Andy Dalton out of the starting gig before even training camp. Well, let's look at the road ahead for Bryce Young and the types of defenses that he'll be facing. So open up with the Falcons, Saints, two division foes, then go out to Seattle, cross country, come back, play Minnesota, Lions, Dolphins into the bye. So not a devastating opening there for a rookie quarterback. And even out of the bye, then you got Texans, Colts, and Bears. We look at the strength of schedule 29. So one of the easiest schedules there is. So that's going to help grease the wheels. When you're looking at defenses, I'm looking at the Seattle Seahawks. They added a lot of depth to their defensive line. And then looking at the Dolphins, they have Vic Fangio and they added a lot of pieces on that defense. That will definitely be a test. I don't think they're going to ask too much out of Bryce Young, especially early in the season. But I'm not paying attention much to, to schedule the teams we thought would be good, sure. thought would be bad, turn out to not be the case from a pythag 2.0 model perspective slightly to the under but basically not recommending a bet only a two percent edge the panthers are only favored in four games all in the second half of the year texans colts falcons bucks and then an underdog in every other game certainly the back half is definitely more formidable than the front half you got the cowboys you got the Saints, the Packers, the Jags, but holistically, and there's always going to be an asterisk around how you evaluate schedules and whatnot, but you can still operate under kind of like, you know, again, those range of outcomes for these teams. And most of these teams have ranges of outcomes that are tilted more towards the downside. I, I assume the number that's placed at seven and a half is relative to last season's win expectation which was on the backs of good quarterbacking. I'm not saying that Sam Darnold's a good quarterback, but the production was there. And I, that angle kind of leads me to say that this pricing is a little bit off. Yeah. Well, Darnold only did play like five games. So. But that's where they got their wins. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the Falcons. Offensive and defensive EDP perspective. I think the range of outcome chart is, is best to kind of encapsulate this this Falcons team, which is like, the left tail is not very wide to the left. It's kind of right down the middle, which is a very high floor team, but also not such a high ceiling. If we look at the Saints, the mean was much worse than the Falcons, but their kind of right tail is very similar. But just to say, I think that this almost perfectly encapsulates who the Falcons are, which is a, a high floor team. As I said, with the Panthers, a team that likes to run the ball and bleed clock, that's what, that's what the Falcons are. And they played last year as kind of a run and gun. I imagine we'll see more of the same, which is a lot of runs and a lot of deep passing, hiding their quarterback as much as they can. And they're kind of going to finish with mid results because that's the offense they're running. They made a lot of moves on, on defense, perhaps that improves. But I think, I think the perspective of the Falcons, maybe there's a lot of bullish talk, but looking back from last year, this was a team that way overachieved. And I think the ADP chart says, no, actually, they're kind of exactly what the record indicates. Mm-hmm. Arthur Smith has a balanced approach. He had a 58% pass rate out of 11 personnel, 52% out of 12 personnel, and 46% out of 
21 personnel. And when you draft Bijan Robinson at running back, you have Matthew Bergeron slated as your starting left guard. That should improve your efficiency out of 12 personnel. And it's going to lead for those like play action deep shots down the field to Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Arthur Smith's that kind of guy where he's just going to pound the ball at you. And then off that, you're going to have play action. Yep, Falcons 7-10 and 10 last year, 8-8-1 eight, eight and one ATS. We're looking at the power ranking volatility. Average rank was about 24th. Average opponent rank was about 18. Seven-day rolling rank volatility, two and a half spots. So not too volatile of a team. One of the things that we talked a lot about last year from a, in our season previews was just how overly bearish the market was on the Falcons going into last year. Four and a half wins. We were talking about how the market was pricing the Falcons like a few years ago, the Texans, when the Texans were blatantly tanking at the very beginning of the season. That's how the market was pricing the Falcons. That seemed overly bearish. We talked about how we liked the Falcons over. We were betting on the Falcons quite early last season. And in fact, we started to abandon that thesis maybe a little bit too early, but we see we we're actually right on target. The Falcons come out of the gate pretty hot they impressed versus the saints there at home covered again versus the rams this next week covered it again versus seattle covered again versus the browns covered again versus the bucks and then again versus the niners and you see climbing this wall of hatred that the market had for the falcons and then the market starts to buy in and then that's when it you know they start to revert back and we can start to see a lot of like got a good forecasting from drive quality as we can kind of see starting to sell off on the Falcons, you know, before the market starts to kind of catch up on that. When we look at the week by week, I see max deficits, some pretty ugly numbers. So they are definitely digging themselves some nasty holes over the course of the season, down 25, down 21, down 21, down 13, down 10, down 13, down 14, down 14. So a lot of double digit holes and not a lot of like big leads over the course of the season. The market was never too hot on them at any point in time. Anything from you guys on this? One thing I, I'm gonna look at is the active points here. The offense accounted for most of their positive active points at, at 13 and a half. And I think we're going to see that the market's gonna kind of price in Desmond Ritter as a really bad quarterback as they did with Marcus Mariota last year. And I think the point of the range of outcomes that we were just talking about is of all the teams in the NFL, I think the quarterback position matters least to the Falcons hmm. because they're going to hide him. There are gonna be games where he's gonna attempt 15 passes, 20 passes. There's a chance for ceiling. I mean, you can talk yourself into, into Ritter. I know some people are doing that, but I think there is going to be value on the offense and I think it's a very similar constructed team to last year, and I see no reason why it shouldn't repeat itself. From the from the max lead perspective, multiple games, did they never have a lead or a very short lead? So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, almost half the season, did they never have a lead at any point in time in the game? And then another flurry of games where they only had a field goal lead. That's a great point about trying to pay attention to some of these team tendencies. I don't think it's a team that's going to be able to come back in games. Right? If they're down, I think it's a team that's so reliant on being ahead and using that run game that they're going to struggle to make comebacks. They did add a lot to the defense. They added Calais Campbell, David Onyemata, and Bud Dupree. All those guys are over the age of 30, so is Grady Jarrett who's there. But you're going to get the ability to stop the run with those four. And then when you look at what they did to the secondary, 
they paired Jesse Bates, went out and got Jeff Okudo, they have Mike Hughes, and they already have A.J. Terrell. And I think this is one of the more sneaky, underrated secondary groups in the NFL. So when you can stop the run with your front four, you can drop those four back. You can send a couple guys on pressure like blitzes or simulate pressures and try to get after the quarterback that way. So I think they're going to be improved from a defensive standpoint. I disagree with you there on the on the cornerbacks. I'm not exactly so so bullish. And I lack in the pass rush such that this could be a defense that is you know, turned for, for a bunch of big gains. The combination of a lack of pass rush and, and certainly Jeffrey Okuda has been a very beatable corner. Plenty of weak links in the secondary. If they're good against the run, as I think they will be, as, as, as you point out, a team to attack via the passing game, especially early in the season. But that narrative of like, oh, they improved their defense, I think it's going to be valuable for, for DFS or betting props, maybe even some, some early same game parlays. But that's something I, I definitely want to keep on my radar. This is a pretty wild one. I've been thinking about it for like the last three minutes, trying to piece it together. Was I was almost thinking that this is an error in the code that the Falcons beat the 49ers by 14 points and never trailed. And they won 28 to 14. And I'm like, that really happened? And that looks like it was pretty much the peak for the team. Yeah, that was right after that Niners game. And then it was a reversion back to what the market was pricing at the beginning of the season. All right, so offseason changes. Johnny Smith, I think, is an interesting add. You know, obviously having that relationship with Arthur Smith. Before he was the offensive coordinator for Mike Vrabel, he was the tight ends coach for Ken Wisenhunt in Tennessee. So why he takes Kyle Pitts at four, why he brings Janu Smith back. Like now you see the philosophy from Arthur Smith and why he's built this roster. I, I just want to pick up a, a bit on Desmond Ritter, present maybe a, a case for the upside. Again, I think this is going to be a, a floor offense. He was awesome in a bunch of the unstable areas, how he played under pressure. According to PFF had like a 98th percentile grade on perfectly covered plays, had like a top five EPA shows up on film of a guy who can kind of create out of nothing and i think that's why some of the the film people have, have fallen in love with him a bit if he can get better in all of the areas in which quarterbacks generally get better i'm looking at the percentage of times he throws to an open receiver basically across the board every quarterback from a rookie to your sophomore to your third year improves in that category just as your your ability to process improves and your ability to adjust to the speed of the NFL improves itself. If he can get better in those areas, which are generally the stable ones, then he can put together a good year, assuming that traditionally unstable metrics, but because of his skill set, his ability to kind of create, because he's definitely got a good arm and can definitely use his mobility to avoid sacks. If that's sticky and he can get better as everyone else does, there's certainly a case for Ritter to be good. I'm not betting that, I'm not buying that, but I certainly think that would be remiss to overlook that possibility. I What's think a lot happen? of people are focusing on that upside. I haven't heard that. I have heard it from some people, and I'm with you, Judah. I'm not really high on Ritter because this is his first full year as a starter. But what I will say is Mariota absolutely sucked at hitting the deep ball last year. And deep ball accuracy is volatile year to year. So if Ritter can come in and just hit those open guys that are running downfield and your Kyle Pitts and your Drake Londons off those play actions, the fan base is going to love him. Yeah, he's going to make a couple bonehead decisions throughout a game. Like, that's that's just going to happen. And you just want him to play consistent and within the system. I'll have to watch more, too, because not a lot comes to mind. But I did, just last week, 
rewatch that Saints game, week 15, 18 to 21 loss. And the reason I watched it was I didn't like actively select that game. It was just like the first one that came up when I was like looking for highlights on YouTube. And I did it because I had been seeing sort of like a litany of different tweets from different people arguing for upside for the Falcons, specifically due to a performance from Desmond Ritter. And that Saints game looks vintage. Every single thing you would not want a quarterback doing. Looks slow to process. Looks at one wide receiver. Overthrows them. Inaccurate. There was nothing. Nothing. It all looked ugly. What, what do people see in this guy? There's no promise. There was no promise. Now it's just one. And it was his first. He's played another few games. But it was a 9-17 to loss to the Ravens. And then squeaked one out versus the miserable Cardinals. And then that last game versus the Bucks, Back. when I think the Bucks didn't even need to win it. Backups. They were losing, yeah. Yeah. So I don't remember a lot from those games. I mean, you look at the QB EPA here, and again, there's tons of asterisks with that, of course. Even people are really talking themselves into the upside of Desmond Ritter. I think that presents betting value if that's reflected in the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something to keep an eye on. I just know. Yeah, from what I've anecdotally listened to and heard. And that's why, you know, we'll continue to bring online our sentiment analyzer so we can quantify it even better. And I don't just have to talk about just my own anecdotal experiences. All right, Falcons in 2023. Look at their schedule over the course of the season. Pythag 2.0 model has a short lean to the over 3.3% edge, so it's not going to actually make any bets. Strength of schedule from a future supply perspective, one of the easiest, ranked 31st. Net rest, negative four days. Mean spread is about pick them. A handful of games that they're favored, handful of games that they're underdogs. But this is a relatively tough start for a team that people are high on. I mean, you have to see there, there's a huge repricing of this team. How meaningfully different is this team from last year? The team was priced at four and a half wins last year. Now they're priced at eight and a half wins, a doubling. And there's people outwardly bullish. So they've been repriced up and people want to buy them. Whereas last year they were sold off hard and no one wanted to touch them. And I don't even know what's changed. The NFC South. Yeah, Tom Brady's not anymore. But we were talking about, but fine. The broader market doesn't realize that, but last year we were already talking about that, that that was yeah. going to happen. No, no, I certainly agree. I'm just trying to understand the expectation there. And I think there was a correction. They won seven games last year and Mariota wasn't that good, but I agree with you. There's definitely value on the under. Do you I think like, Mariota did not play well, but there was games that he did play well and net net, like what's the probability that Desmond Ritter in totality is going to offer meaningfully more upside than Mariota. I think he has more meaningful downside. Agree. Agree. Four of their five starters on the offensive line last year played over 99% of the snaps. So you had continuity there with Mariota and Ritter to where they at least had some form of a pocket. As some of those guys get injured. That definitely shakes it up to where that, that under you can juice a lot more. Plus the wide receiving core is pretty thin. Right? It's real. They're yeah. starting Mac Collins? Yeah, Mac Collins. They have Scotty Miller. They don't have anybody outside of Drake London. They're going to be running a lot of two tight end sets. They're going to be leaning on Bijan. 
if that offensive line gets hurt, they just re-signed Chris Lundstrom. They just drafted Matthew Bergeron. They have Jake Matthews at left tackle. They have some high name dudes on that offensive line, but we'll see. This is a weak roster. The more I'm looking at it, it's yes, you can fall in love with the talent of London and Pitts. That's very weak. One of them goes down. You just have a defensive game plan that just like takes out the one guy. That's easy. Yeah. Like, yes, they're going to be creative in the run game and it's relative to expectation, but this team does not look good at all. I'm really struggling to find the ceiling. Also, I always feel like in the off season, everyone's like, Arthur Smith, they got Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith's a great play designer. And it's like always like this bullish ammunition. But then in the season, when you're actually trying to bet them, they're like, but Arthur Smith, so conservative. They don't try to capitalize when they should. I would like the Falcons here, but they have Arthur Smith calling plays. And starts to swing the other way. I remember throughout all of the middle half of last season, people would cite Arthur Smith as a negative factor, yeah. not a positive. That was certainly the off-season outlook for the team. It was like Arthur Smith negative. I think I'm alone thinking that he's a he's a good play designer. Well, Steven, doesn't, don't some of your charts and stuff put him up there or no? I have Arthur Smith. He's right around Ben Johnson, which are in like the teens. He's consistent as a play caller. The other thing is, is the teams in this division, we talked about the Panthers, talked about the Bucks. If they have any somewhat consistent strength, it's the defensive side. And that's not going to help essentially a rookie quarterback in Desmond Ritter. Sell, fade, all under Falcons. What are, they, what are they at? Eight and a half right now? Yeah, that's eight and a half. half. If you get to nine wins in the NFC South, you're going to win the division. It's hard to see the Falcons winning more than eight, no more than nine games this season. I like the regular under more than I like the alt under, but I, I certainly like the, the under here. I don't even think the schedule is that weak. Basically, plus close to plus 200 on under Falcons. That actually does sound pretty attractive. So far, all right, Saints, division favorites. Another team in that same kind of quartile there on looking at the EDP chart, offensive and defense, having a pretty decent defense, but not a good offense. So kind of like all having kind of similar thematic factors here underlying these teams, at least last year. And again, a lot of it does rhyme this year. When we look at the power ranking volatility for the Saints, we can see here drive quality really liked the Saints pretty much all year. And the market did catch up. So as the market started to really ramp up towards the end of the season, drive quality was basically flat because we were already there. So this is another example of the market catching up to it. What I would say is drive quality was a little bit too hot, too fast, a little bit too eager on the Saints because a lot of that performance didn't actually come through, even though those underlying fundamentals seem to be there. And I know the, the Saints, because of this, you know, were, was not a team that I have like very fond memories, particularly with betting. Definitely led to some some heartbreak. Uh, was that Ravens one? The Ravens one, and I remember that Rams game when I had a Dalton passing and the Saints minus nine and a half. The Saints had the ability to run out the clock and then Bryce Perkins led a 55 yard drive with 40 seconds left and then a Matt Gay 56 yard field goal. That's time expired. <laughs> and, and ruined my 12 to one parlay. And this was a team that had a lot of intergame volatility, a lot of double digit deficits, a lot of double digit leads, kind of like really all over the place, which made it very difficult to bet them. That's like even when we were betting them in game, 
I remember some heartbreaks, like especially like first the Steelers. That was one that like comes to mind where the Saints clearly looked like the better team, but could not capitalize on opportunities. Saints very frustrating. The, the market never really bought into them. We don't see any top 10 picks from a circle ranks perspective after week two. Market opens up hot on them, likes them top eight pick, top three pick, and then never a top 10 pick again after that. Just didn't like Andy Dalton. Winston last game and week three, and then after that, and it was Dalton the whole way. Yeah, you're right. Actually a good point. That's a very good point. Do you guys think Derek Carr is a huge upgrade to Andy this Dalton? Is, if you reframe the question to be, do I think that Andy Dalton's production from last year will be matched by Derek Carr? The answer is probably no. Andy Dalton had a sneaky good year last year. You look at a bunch of different efficiency metrics. I posted a bunch of charts of quarterback play recently, and Andy Dalton was always in the right spot of those. He was extremely accurate. I think he was fourth in accuracy, just like fourth in PFF grade. He was pretty high up there in EPA. Like he had a really good season. That does not mean that he's necessarily going to have a, another very good season, but it does show that the production that the Saints are replacing is high level. I'm not sure that Carr is going to be able to kind of produce that. I like what they've done with the offensive line. Last year, Trevor Penning saw the field for 12% of the snaps. Andrews Pete only saw it for 55% of the plays. If they're able to stay on the field more, that anchors your left-hand side, and you already got Eric McCoy, Cesar Ruiz, and Ryan Ramchek on that right-hand side. That's going to pave the way for Alvin Kamara and Jamal Williams. The biggest thing is, is who's going to be the next guy after Chris Olave? Is it going to be Foster Moreau, who they brought in from Las Vegas? Is Rashid Shahid? is he going to step up more now in year two? And he did, absolutely. That offensively is the biggest question. When you only have one guy on an offense, it's very easy to scheme to take him out of the game completely. Steven, it was well, Michael it was, Thomas's deal. He's healthy, but who knows? He's healthy, yeah. Uh, Steven, that was a perfect framing because I can understand kind of your hesitations of the team and why I'm super excited is I think I'm the biggest Rashid Shaheed stand there is out there. This is a guy who ranked, I think, third in yards per route run. I just built the expected yards after the catch. He's top five in that metric. He's top five in separation. The dude is an absolute baller. Absolute and he played baller. about 30% of the snaps, so it wasn't a super small yeah, sample they, size. They started him as, I think, a bit of a gadget player, and he'll regress in some metrics. But this guy can get open, and, and that's sticky year over year. I think he can really step up. I also should just say that Chris Olave is better than we think he is. Like, I think oh, this is he is. This I is think a, he's really good, though. I, I, I'm saying I think he's better than big. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think he's like, we're going to be talking about Chris Olave in the same category that we talked about Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams by this season. This yeah. guy is absolutely yeah. great in every facet of the game. And Michael Thomas is a bonus at this point. But if you're getting production from Rashid Jaheed, this could be a really, really good passing offense. And, and Derek Carr oh. doesn't even have to do too much. And you, you put it in the context of the NFC. They've got good tackles. They've got the potential for terrific wide receivers. And Derek Carr can be elevated by good receivers. And then you're like, oh, I can talk myself into the Saints with a really fat right tail given the context of the NFC. My biggest hesitation comes on the defensive side. You got six players that are over the age of 30. Cameron Jordan at 34, Demario, Demario Davis at 34, Tyron Matthew at 31, Marcus May at 30, Bradley Roby at 31. And then when you look That's at what happened in the offseason, 
they lost David Onyemata, Shai Tuttle, Marcus Davenport, all gone. That combined for a little over 1,700 defensive snaps that they just lost. And all of those guys played at least 40% of the snaps. And you're replacing that with Nathan Shepard, Brian Brisset out of Clemson, and then they also drafted Isaiah Foskey. It's something where the defensive line, it doesn't look good, and they have a lot of age on that defense. That's where the regression is going to be. The offense, there's a lot to be excited about if everything comes together. Michael Thomas stays healthy. Rashid Shahid does what he's been doing. Like, that's that's cool. But this defense, it could fall off really quickly. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. It's very fragile. There are a lot of potential guys falling off the cliff. And, and I, I don't like the Falcons defensive line, and I think the Saints is worse. That, that that's well, that's, that's interesting. Point. That's interesting, especially because they leaned on them so strongly, specifically in the second half. Some of these very puzzling performances only scored ten points versus Pittsburgh. Scored zero versus San Francisco. Scored sixteen versus Tampa. Scored seventeen versus the Browns. Seven versus the Panthers. And the only reason that they hung in those games because their defense was able to keep the other side under 20 points. Do you guys think Pete Carmichael, he's able to kind of milk Alvin Kamara now that he's kind of winding down probably? Kamara's going to miss like at least, what, four games? Oh, that's right. Oh, he did. Well, I think the Chargers may have been dropped. Yeah, but they're still yeah, they, they did sign Jamal Williams. He's going to miss right. some games, yeah, for sure. He also hasn't been that good recently. Do you think he'll yeah. make a resurgence like Saquon did last year, stuff like that? No, no, not a resurgence. Yeah. Yeah. There's vintage Kamara in the rear view mirror. Yeah. But I think he's multi-dimensional still. Yes. Like brings. They refuse to use him as a passer. I remember a week where like David Johnson had more routes run than Alvin Kamara. <laughs> Completely inexcusable. Pythag 2.0 medal likes the Saints over. 6.8% edge. So that was not enough of a trigger the way we use Pythag. 2.0 model last year to make futures bets with a 10% edge. So this would not be sufficient, but small over. Strength of schedule, 30 seconds. So futures implied, this is the easiest schedule there is. Net rest plus three days. Mean spread about negative two. So a two point favorite on average. Futures sitting at that nine and a half. Big adjusted 9.2. Definitely an easy slate at the beginning. You're going to get rookie quarterbacks. Like even if Anthony Richardson doesn't start off the season, you're going to get early season Richardson. You're going to get early season Stroud. A lot of teams you'd rather play early in the early in the season. Literally by week eight, half your games are the AFC South. So there there really is no reason for the Saints not to have a winning record going into their bye. And plus, you got Jordan Love again. Question marks there. Who knows if things are really a dumpster fire with the Bucks? I mean, do you have Kyle Trask at week four? Yeah. <laughs> That would be that would be quite the switch. Well, if you're gonna go full dumpster fire, like after after the you know 40-10 loss in week four, that's when you go full dumpster fire. Usually you give it a month. That's why I'm like, yeah, week four if he's starting, if Kyle yep. Trask is starting by week four. I don't know. We've seen it numerous times where it's like after week two, it's like there's so much pressure on a team to like make a switch already. <laughs> like my my concern is I, I don't love the coaching staff. There's questions on the defense. And then Derek Carr is kind of like a head case. You know, I feel like if this is his spot, he gets like the right emotional support and things start going their way, then it could potentially feed on itself. But it's like the dude does not handle adversity very well. We got to get the, you know, the press conferences. Yeah, that's another yeah. thing that we'll have. Yeah.
Get him reading sentiment of Derek Carr. Maybe that happens week two. A vicious Panthers defense rattles him. Then he has to go to Lambeau, struggles. That vicious Packers Panthers, defense. Those, those vicious Panthers D, you know. That, 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 it can be a vicious Panthers D. As long as we got J.C. Horn and Brian Burns and Derek Brown on the field, that's going to be scary for him. And hey, and you come out with like one of those, you know, random, like red hot starting games from the Titans. Everyone's talking about like Tannehill, the Hopkins, oh, Henry, oh my gosh, like Titans. <laughs> 0-3. I'm excited to replay that. I have to make a mental note of this. When my Saints bullish offense case comes through and they, they hang up 31 against the Panthers. And I'll remember the ferocious a- Panthers day. 0-3, then they go home versus the Bucks. Okay, and if you struggle or lose that game, now you're 0-4 going to Foxborough. It's over at that point, but we're so deep in your theoretical that has no chance that it doesn't matter. Every single game I talked about is under a field goal spread. So, like, that's well. Yes. Yeah, it's three. The Titans played hard under Mike Vrabel. Give me some fodder for more. I'm betting the Titans. Saints bullish case. I don't even want to do it. I think their defense is too fragile, but you're feeding the beast. Going back to your opening comments, you have sufficiently mitigated flirting with like what a potential bucks upside could look like that does seem that was slimmer. the main that was the main and i would say that the downside does seem at massive again fewest wins that might be my favorite bet of yep. this division is fewest wins plus 800 on the bucks because you want to bet fewest wins on those teams that have the potential to actually yeah to like let's blow things up you know, like where there is no long-term answers on that team. Like they're not even flirting with long-term answers. You know, so there's like bad teams out there. Maybe the Texans are bad, but they're clearly building something there. Where the Bucks here, this is when you're in like no man's land. There's nothing. Every single player on this team might be gone in two years. Yeah, Coaching staff a- gone. Everyone on offense gone. Everyone on defense gone. Totally different team in two years. That's the type of team you would want to bet fewest wins on. Yeah, 100%. My two favorite bets on under Falcons and under Panthers. I don't think I'm going to bet those though, just because I think the expectations are still pretty low. Definitely don't like under Panthers. And I think the the Saints should be clear division favorites. I like that bet a lot. I can see this as a team that just based on their record, they get that passing game going. If those receivers are as good as could be in that passing game, I can see this team kind of being like, what? The Saints went 12 and five. The Saints went 13 and four. I'm not sure they're that good, but in this NFC, I can see that happening. Fat right tail of the Saints and the fat left tail of the Bucks. I like that because if everything goes right for any of these teams, so everything goes right for the Panthers, for the Falcons, for the Bucks, for the Saints, who, who does that look the best for? Definitely looks the best for the Saints. And then the same thing is ever everything goes wrong, it looks the worst for the Bucks. And also, I do like the Saints as the division winner one because it's not a sexy pick. They're like plus one twenty or or something like that to win the division. Yeah. They're the clear favorites, as you talked about. So not a lot of people really find a lot of excitement to really to do that. But if they should be minus 150, that's huge edge. That's huge edge. Yeah, a mild bearish on the Falcons, mild bearish on the Panthers, and be like, that's a Saints division bet right there. I think there's not enough mispricing to bet the win totals because there's a bunch of variants that can happen and a team can kind of sneak to, to seven, eight wins. That's why you always lean to the alts. Just lean to the alts, then. You lean to the alts, but I I think the division is the best way there because I think that the mean spot for the Saints is just way higher. So division Saints, 
fewest wins, Bucks. Bucks. And then in conjunction with that, I actually don't, I wouldn't bet Bucks under because again, no. I can see how it can potentially matter. But I do like fewest wins, Bucks definitely. Yeah. Oh, I would even take all over Saints, but I do agree like Saints division at plus money looks like the safer version yeah. of that. I do not want to flirt with anything under on Panthers because I think basically Bryce Young is the core weakness there. And if he just doesn't like blatantly suck, I think they can be sneaky. Always a tough game for teams and potentially could even flirt with the division if things kind of go sideways for all the teams. And I like fading the Falcons here because maybe I'm dead wrong on Desmond Ritter. I only watched the one game, <laughs> but that one game, man, he looked bad. No promise. And there seems like a lot of steam on Falcons. So I'd be fading that. How about you, Steven? You guys convinced me not to be so bullish on the Falcons, but I do think this will still come down to the Saints Panthers for the division. The first team, the nine wins, wins the division. I would hit the under on the Bucks. I think they're falling apart. I think Todd Bowles is somebody that if you want to bet the first coach fired, he's the first guy out the door. That's another good one. Yep. Bulls first first head coach fired. Mm -hmm. All right. That was a nice warm up. NFC South. Two hours of deep intellectual debate on the best division in football. Save that for the AFC South. Save that for the AFC South. All right. Good stuff, guys. That's it. We got one in the rear view mirror. We'll probably do the second best division in football, the AFC South, next. Thanks, Steven. Thanks, Judah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And that's closing down.